everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Books, Bites, Booze. If you're new here, I'm Madison. Hello, hello. My name's Alexis. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to wrap up our discussion on Breathless, bring you new cocktail recipes, a dinner and dessert recipe. And then at the very end, we have an interview with author Amy McCulloch. So excited. The author of Breathless. Yes, we got to kind of pick her brain, got a little behind the scenes of Breathless and got to talk about her experience actually climbing Mount Manaslu that's in Breathless. So it's a awesome interview, super inspiring. She's amazing. So definitely stick around to the end to hear about that. And since we haven't recorded in like what, uh, two days, I think that we like, we had to record this like super fast because we finished Breathless. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So full disclosure. Yeah. We finished this in like T minus two seconds. Like we had to immediately turn around and just record the second part. So it has not been very long. Yeah. So hello. <laughs> so we don't have too much of a catch up this week. So we're going to jump right into our cocktails. Okay. So I, actually got this recipe off TikTok. Um, it's a coconut mimosa. Ooh. And I feel like we've been doing a lot of co- cocktails recently with like the cream of coconut. If anybody is making these cocktails and you have like extra cream of coconut, I'm giving you one more that you can use it with. So this is super simple. It's literally just you put cream of coconut in the bottom of your glass with a little bit of champagne, whatever your favorite champagne is. You are going to froth it with like a frother. If you don't have one, just mix it really well. But you should really invest in a frother because it's like the best thing ever. But anyway, just a little champagne, a little bit of cream of coconut in the bottom of your glass. Froth it until it's pretty thick. Add a little bit more cream of coconut and champagne to top it off. And that's literally it. The only thing is you might have to adjust how much coconut you put in there based on like how you like your mimosas. But anyway, it's super simple. You can like rim your glass in like the toasted coconut and um, yeah, it's delicious. That sounds amazing. It's a little twist on a classic. Yes, I love it. Um, I try to stay <laughs> on theme and with like, you know, breathless and being out in the cold. And, you know, throughout the whole book, they kept drinking hot teas and hot drinks and I trying that, to keep yeah. the warmth. So I'm doing a mulled wine. I love a good mulled wine. You know, it's just like yeah. the crock pot dinner of cocktails. So this is a crock pot mulled wine recipe. It's going to have two bottles of red wine, half a cup of brandy, half cup of honey, four cinnamon sticks, orange peels. You just need like one or two oranges, uh, one cup of cranberries, eight star anise, I think is what it's called. I'm not exactly. Yeah. Okay. Anise. Yeah. We're just going to act like I said that. Yeah. (laughs) And then a (laughs) tablespoon of whole cloves. So you're just going to turn the the slow cooker onto low heat, add in all of your ingredients and stir it up. You can heat it for about an hour just until it gets hot. Um, Once the wine is mulled, you can serve the garnishes with spices and fruit. I mean, it's super easy. It's honestly, it's the crock pot dinner. so good. Yes. I love a good mulled wine. And obviously, if you're cooking for a party and you want to have a bunch of wine, you can 
you know, make those portions bigger. You can customize it however you like. It really is just whatever you want to do. Throw it on the crock pot and serve it. That's like a great recipe for the holidays too. So Mm -hmm. even though we're not there yet, do not remind me that we are already in freaking August. Can you believe it? No. So let's just go ahead and jump into our discussion. There's like so much to talk about. So much. Um, So first off, I think we were pronouncing the mountain wrong. I think we said Manaslu in part one and it's actually Manaslu. Oops. (laughs) So, you know, just ignore that little detail. We're learning as we go. Yeah, you were probably calling it Manaslu too, to be honest, but (laughs) it's not. It's Manaslu, so. Where we ended, we had in part one, if you haven't listened, go back and listen to part one before you start part two and kind of catch up. We talk about all of our characters and everything that had happened up until halfway through the book. And if you haven't finished the book, then pause and finish the book because we're going to definitely spoil the ending for you. Where we left off, Irina had just died. Devastating. That was honestly, now that I've read the rest of the book, I would say that is one of the creepiest parts. Like, that is one of the scariest moments in the book besides the actual ending to me. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So then kind of the first big thing that happens after that is they, or Cicely is convinced after that and after she kind of talks to Ben that there is Somebody on the mountain, somebody had left her a note in her tent saying, you know, nobody's safe up here. There is, like, a killer that is on the mountain. Yeah, which that was just so scary. (laughs) Yeah, so Ben's whole departure, can we just talk about that first? Yes. So we thought originally in part one that Ben had only been in a couple chapters, but he was still, like, a really sketchy character, and we didn't really know how that was going to play out so he stole everybody's money all the sherpa's money everybody's tip money that they you know pay their crew at the end yeah and he took the money trying to hire a helicopter or something off the mountain because he was broke and like he couldn't get down and he was so scared that he was gonna die like that's it which honestly i can't say that i wouldn't do that like i get that mentality if you're stuck up on a mountain and you can't get down you think that someone's gonna come try and kill you because you just witnessed a murder i mean i'd start acting crazy too i would want to get down (laughs) for sure And, like, he was actually the one that saw somebody kill Irina or shove her off the mountain. He knew that that was not just, like, a slip and fall. So, and I think since Cicely knew him from, like, her life back home, there was sort of an additional trust. Yeah. She really didn't think he would just be saying these things, you know, if it actually wasn't the truth even though everybody was still like eh it was just uh it was just a fall no big deal she was the only one like pretty much convinced yeah she believed ben pretty much right away (laughs) after ben's departure charles finally enters the picture hello main character (laughs) yeah so we finally get to interact and see charles a little bit i mean okay for me from right at the jump as soon as he enters the picture i can like feel that something's off i'm not gonna lie okay spoiler alert hello this is your (laughs) warning that if you have not finished the book stop listening but literally the second he entered the book i was like all right he's the killer like (laughs) i mean he just immediately that was the vibe 
I don't know. He was just sneaky. Yeah. I mean, he was off. It was weird. He just had that vibe. He was the kind of charming to where he was trying to... I don't know. Like, you could just tell. It was not a charming, like, a sincere, charismatic way. It was, like, a charming, like, I'm trying to manipulate. Does that make sense? Yeah. The part that really just sold it for me was when he was in Cicely's tent reading the draft that she had written about, like, Killer on the Mountain. Mm -hmm. That was, like, sketchy. I was like, that is so weird, like, that he's just in her tent reading the shit on her laptop like yeah that for me i was like nope not mm -mm, i'm sold at you he was just it was too much it was too much (laughs) okay so can we talk about elise's real reason for joining the team okay did not see that coming at all not that was a pretty big twist i mean and her and dario's relationship yeah is it so was that why dario kept coming to their campsite because isn't Dario the whistler or maybe it was yeah. Charles Charles know. was the whistler but she had originally thought it was Dario yeah that's what it was okay yeah. okay okay yes 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 because Charles ended up being in the tent that was next to the campsite and so right. he was the one got Charles it had been on the mountain the whole time yes okay and then Dario was just Elisa's boyfriend and that, that we like had no hint of until it was like oh yeah she's seeing Dario anyway yeah So Elise had actually joined Charles' team to catch him cheating. She wanted to catch him cheating. Her and Dario wanted to expose Charles so that everybody knew that he was actually not doing this challenge Alpine style and just kind of like catch him for, you know, all the accusations that were kind of being thrown his way. Yeah, they, like, Elise had seen him cheat at their last climb together. He had seen him use a line, a fixed line, instead of doing it alpine style. And so after that, they were just, like, sold. They're going to get him. Yeah. Obviously, we know that Elise's character gets murdered, which we predicted. Yep. And honestly, I do think it was the most gruesome. I I would agree, yeah. Um, She was, like... Charles hit her in the back of the head with an ice pick. Yeah. Or an ice axe. Yeah, pretty much just left her. That was so sad. When Cicely found her, oh, oh. my gosh, that was like, oh, I felt oh. so bad for her. Okay, so let's talk about how quickly it just went from zero to 100. I loved that part of it. I thought that was so, like, as soon as I started the end, I finished the book. Like, yes, I would, yeah. I agree. I think it, the end, it picked up quickly and it lasted longer than I thought it would I mean we have Cicely who is not an experienced mountain climber her oxygen gets messed with so she is halfway to the summit and her oxygen goes out and so now she is climbing with no oxygen like Elise was attempting to do she makes it to the summit she's definitely hypoxic Okay, I will say that I loved that part. I think the author did so good writing the hypoxic scenes because I really could tell that her brain was, like, scattered. Yes, like, after she came down and she was in the tent, how it took her all that time to take her suit off. And, like, she yes. couldn't. It That was so Written interesting. very well. Loved yeah. that. Anyway, she couldn't make it to the summit like that. Fight dug off. And then hang off the side of the mountain. Make it back down with, once she finds Zach, trying to 
get Zach down the mountain with her, and then survives the avalanche on top of all of that. I loved everything from the tent, from that moment all the way to the avalanche. I loved. I agree. I would have rather it ended with, you know, them finding out, and then all of a sudden Sicily's this hero, and Sicily goes on to be, like, a mountaineering god. That is what I wanted, honestly. Yeah, I mean, she deserved it because she literally was a mountaineering god. Like, she was up there doing the damn thing. Yeah. But I loved the scene at the top of the mountain. Like, when she was up there on the summit, even before Doug got there, like, seeing her reach the top and, like, fulfill that for herself. Like, I absolutely loved that. It made me want to go start mountain climbing. Like, it was I loved it. I did too, for sure. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed reading it. The suspense was there. I mean, pretty much the whole way throughout the book. Like we said in part one, the action got started super quick, which I loved. I think she did a great job too, kind of explaining all of the lingo of mountaineering and all of the different equipment so that we could kind of like picture it, understand it a little better too, because... Like we said, we have no experience. (laughs) Yeah. But I loved the scene when we realized that Doug is Caroline. Is that her name? Caroline, the daughter, the one who helped Cicely Mm -hmm. and who fell off the mountain. I absolutely loved that scene. I loved the twist of Doug being the dad. It was absolutely heartbreaking to hear the true story of what happened to her And the scene where Doug is just, like, getting angry with Cicely and being, like, you have no respect for the mountain. Like, it's a very humbling thing because, like, you have to. You have to realize when you're climbing the mountain that it's dangerous. Like, you can't be doing that if you're not prepared. Yeah, and, like, it's not just your safety. It's everybody that's climbing the mountain with you. It's their safety, too. That even goes back to when she was climbing with golden and she puts her ice axe in and it slips out and hits him in the arm Mm -hmm. like one small thing like that could have been it for golden right oh my gosh i can't even believe that we haven't said this golden for sure was my favorite sherpa and his death absolutely shattered me it was so sad and his baby and yes the scene of her going to his family oh my gosh that tug on the heartstrings i love that they like wrapped up that storyline because galden for sure was like even though he wasn't even one of like the main characters i just loved him and that was oh god that killed me anyway okay so out of five stars Give me your rating, your ending thoughts, overall, what you thought about it. Go. I really loved it. I thought it was amazing. I really enjoyed the whole experience of reading. It made me feel like I was outside climbing right along with them. Like, I really do want to go hiking after reading it. (laughs) I think it has a very small niche. Like, I think the people who would enjoy this kind of book, it's not like, um, I mean, it's not, it's not like a top selling book. because I don't think not everyone's interested in climbing, not everyone's interested in thrillers. So I think that this one might not appeal to as many audience members, but I think the people who are interested in outdoors and interested in adventure stories like this and thrillers would love it. Um, Thoroughly enjoyed it. I would probably say a three. I'm going to give it a three. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. For me, I'm going to give it a three as well. 
I loved the suspense, kept me reading, loved the short chapters, loved the mystery. I really wanted, you know, I really had to know kind of how it was going to end and what was going to happen next. And I think we predicted a lot of kind of what was going to happen in the end, which, you know, I think I feel like my thought process went exactly where the book kind of like led me. But overall, like I said, it's enjoyable. It's a very quick read. So if you're just like kind of wanting to add another one to your list, I think it's great for that. Yeah, I really did like it. Like I will recommend this book to people who like the outdoors and like my friends who like hiking and this stuff because like it's so good. But I don't think it's the kind of book that anyone could just pick up and read. Right. Yeah. I'm going to kind of wrap up our discussion with one of my favorite quotes in the book and I don't know why but like I read this quote and it just kind of like summed up everything she I feel like she was trying to kind of say I don't know it just kind of stuck with me so my favorite quote from the book is she was brave and she was vulnerable these things did not have to exist at the opposite end of the scale but rather they could be held together one in each hand and each could bear its own weight just as the right hand is the mirror image of the left she was so brave but at the same time she was so vulnerable because she was not prepared for that and everything that she was gonna face yeah I have such a respect for Cicely and I mean Amy the author like this is something that she did she climbed this mountain this is her experience like her journey on this mountain as well as the fiction in the story you know like this is very much her own personal journey and I have so much respect for her she you know, it's a high risk, high reward kind of thing. Like you put your whole heart into this, like you're putting your life on the line and you are giving it all to climb to one of the highest points in the world. Like you're brave and you're vulnerable. And like, it's such a, it's amazing. Now we are going to jump into our interview with Amy McCulloch. We got to kind of sit down with her, talk a little bit about her background as a writer, as a mountaineering woman who is just blowing us away at some of her knowledge and the things that she kind of said about her um, mountaineering career so far. I think y'all are really going to enjoy it. She is so inspiring. I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. Hey, Amy, thank you so much for coming on Books, Whites, Booze. Um, we're so excited to get to pick your brain, talk a little bit about Breathless, and just get to know you a little more. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. So to kick us off, um, just tell us a little more about you, where you're from, and just like a short little bio. So I'm Amy McCulloch. I am originally Canadian, but I live in London in England at the moment. Uh, Well, I've been living here for the past over a decade now. So I suppose I sort of have this strange transatlantic accent, which is like kind of British and kind of North American, (laughs) depending on uh, what I'm saying and and who I'm saying it to. I've been a full-time writer for the past seven years, mostly doing children's and young adult uh, fiction. But Breathless is my debut uh, adult thriller. It was inspired by a kind of recent hobby of mine, I suppose, which was my own kind of journey into the mountaineering world and kind of falling in love with the big mountains and high peaks and discovering that that I was able and capable um, of climbing these really enormous mountains, basically. So it was, but it's been a very new kind of venture for me. um, And it all kind of led towards the writing of this book. 
Yeah. Obviously, me and Alexis are not very experienced when it comes to mountaineering, but Alexis actually really likes hiking and nature and all of that. And I've always found mountaineering very interesting. So can you tell us a little more about what you love so much about it, how you kind of got into it, and just like a little more about that background. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you had asked me, uh, well, five years ago, even if I would ever find myself on the top of an 8,000 meter peak, I would have probably laughed because I actually hadn't <laughs> done any mountaineering before that time. Um, I, I also, I actually wasn't even that avid a hiker or, or particularly athletic, <laughs> but I love travel and I, and I have always loved adventure and kind of getting out into nature and, and the wilderness. But I kind of went through a really uh, big life change. So I'd like been with the, in a long-term relationship with someone for a long time. We got married, um, but then the marriage fell apart after a year. And I kind of found myself at this crossroads where I was looking at my life and my future, what I thought my future was going to be, and then realizing that that didn't exist anymore and that maybe I had to find something else to do with my life. So I actually decided that I was going to take a, a really long walk, kind of inspired by the Cheryl Strait wild um, model of kind of putting yourself in the way of beauty uh, while you kind of try and deal with big emotions or or life events that are the challenges that you're facing so I actually googled like longest walks that I could do and I came across the Kerry Way which is in Ireland it's Ireland's longest waymark trail I basically flew out there the day that my husband left uh, or the day after my husband left and the next couple of days after that I was on this trail I was really amazed by you know, the beauty that I was seeing, I mean, that Irish walk takes in farmland and coastline and, and everything. Also, I'd never really walked 30 kilometers in a day before. And all of a sudden, my, I was doing it and able to kind of process all these big things that were going on in my life, but also be really present and like not be so worried about what the future was going to be or worried about what had happened in the past. I was just focusing on kind of putting one foot in front of the other. After the end of that, I was really just hooked on walking. So I decided I would go um, to Nepal next and do the Annapurna circuit, which is one of the really classic treks that you can do in the world. Uh, and that's where I saw these big, big mountains for the first time. Fell in love with, with Nepal, with the culture and the food, but also Manaslu, which is the mountain that I climbed and also the mountain that features in Breathless. That's the first big mountain that you see on the Annapurna circuit. I mean, at that point, this was in November 2017, I couldn't have believed that I would one day climb it. It looks so enormous, so terrifying, but beautiful. It really kind of stands apart from the rest of the scenery because there are no other big mountains around. It kind of is its own peak. Um, it's not near Everest or any of the other big mountains. After that, I was kind of intrigued as to where I could go from there. And I um, went to Morocco to climb Tubkal, which is the highest mountain in Morocco. And I summited that on New Year's Day 2018 at sunrise and watched kind of the sun come up over the Atlas Mountains and the Sahara Desert in the background. And that's when I kind of caught summit fever, I suppose. I was yeah. just addicted to the magic of it. I was amazed by what um, that my body could accomplish this, that I had that kind of mental resilience to keep going, even though it felt really difficult. Yeah, so I just decided that this was going to be my new my new thing and, and kind of tried, tested myself on higher and higher mountains until I got to wow. Nepal. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like only imagine how proud you are of yourself to become the youngest Canadian woman to climb Mount mm -hmm. Manaslu. So can you tell us like, 
a little bit of about that journey in particular and how that must have felt once you kind of achieved yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I was lucky in my kind of mountaineering journey when I was looking for people to guide me in these high places because I needed a guide. I'm, I'm not a professional mountaineer. You know, this is still a hobby for yeah. me. Yeah. I really wanted to climb with someone who was from Nepal because I had this idea that if one day Everest or something like Everest was going to be in my horizon, if that was something I was going to achieve one day, I wanted to know the people that I was climbing with. And uh, you often climb one-on-one with a a Sherpa guide. And so I really wanted to um, have known that person and perhaps climbed with them in other environments before getting to something like Everest. That led me to a company led by a man called Nims Dai, who is now a super famous mountaineer and star of the Netflix documentary, 14 Peaks. And okay, yeah, you've seen it. (laughs) So uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible documentary. But I met him just a few months before he started his big adventure. And we climbed Aconcagua together, which is the highest mountain in, in the Americas. It's, it's actually the highest mountain outside of Asia. So that's in Argentina. And we climbed that in really difficult conditions, like crazy winds, very, very cold weather. But he kind of has this incredible motivating spirit and, and leadership, and kind of guided us up to the summit Um, and then he was explaining about this project that he was doing where he was trying to break all these world records he was struggling to raise all the money as you kind of learn in the documentary people didn't really believe that he could do it so he asked me after I'd summited Aconcagua if I wanted to come and summit Manaslu with him as part of his project possible I didn't think necessarily that I was ready to take the next step to climb an 8,000 meter peak in Nepal However, I felt like the opportunity to climb with NIMS and to kind of be at the forefront or or to witness history being made, mountaineering history being made, felt like too amazing of an opportunity to pass up whether or not I managed to get to the summit myself or not. So I kind of went there with no real expectations on myself that I was going to be able to do it more for the opportunity and the adventure and and it felt like a once in a lifetime kind of thing so felt like something I had to say yes to went out to Nepal with him he'd already by this point because Manaslu was ended up being number 13 of 14 mountains that he had achieved so by now he was gaining loads of recognition for all of the the mountains that he climbed so it felt like a real privilege to be you know one of the very few team members who was actually there at base camp with him climbing alongside him uh, and I am in the documentary sort of trailing behind Nims a little bit but I'm in my big summit <laughs> suit and helmet and everything so it's quite hard to quite hard to identify <laughs> me but you know that was such an incredible experience to to witness that and you know under his leadership and and also the guidance of the other people on his team you know Mingma David Sherpa and also my personal Sherpa who is Kasang Tenzing with their, their help you know I managed to, to reach the summit and that was as like I said I, I went there with no expectations of myself there was nothing for me, that was on the line. There was no ego or legacy or anything because I honestly didn't know that I, if I could do it or not. It was just like, yeah. can I put one foot on front of the other until I either make the summit or don't? And I would just, yeah. you know, the kind of stars aligned and I had this incredible climbing experience. Afterwards, we got in touch with the Himalayan database who are a um, volunteer group who track all of the people who climb the mountains in Nepal that are over 8,000 meters. And she was showing me the list of um, Canadian women who had climbed um, this mountain before. And 
yes, it was incredible that I was the youngest, but what I found more incredible was that there were only six names on that list in all of history. Wow. Do you know what I mean? In all of history, I was like the seventh woman to have done it. And I found that Canadian woman, Canadian woman to have done it. So I found that so, you know, there aren't that many activities in the world you can do where you would be, you know, in the top the yeah, first 10 you know women to have done that and I think I think going into it with the mindset you had as in you know I'm not expecting mm-hmm. necessarily to make it to the top so I think once you did it was probably that much more it was special and yeah and- I can imagine yeah, yeah. That's that amazing. sounds like such an amazing wow. experience all around. And you can definitely see where the inspiration came into the book. Um, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit Thank here. You. I want to talk about your time before you were a full-time world traveler and writer. You were <laughs> an editorial director for Penguin Random House Children's Books. That sounds like such an amazing position. Can you tell us about your role there and what the transition was like going from the corporate world to a full-time author? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I worked in publishing from when I finished university. So I wanted to uh, be a writer from from a really early age. But as I'm sure anyone who is an author will tell you or anyone who has anything to do with books will tell you, it's not necessarily a career you can like depend on and hang your hat on. But I knew I loved books. So I thought going into publishing would be a a kind of natural fit for me. And that's what brought me to London, really, because um, although I'm Canadian, uh, I have a British passport and kind of the centers for publishing really are New York and London so I thought I would go to London take advantage of my ability to work over here I actually although I love the writing I I found that I really loved the editorial side as well and working with authors I particularly have a love of the sci-fi fantasy genre um, which most of my children's books fall into that Um, so I ended up working one of my earliest jobs was for Harper Voyager who in the UK published Game of Thrones um, you know Lord of the Rings Robin Hobb Raymond Feist, like some of the biggest names in in fantasy. So that was kind of my dream role. While I was a commissioning editor there is when I first got my first book deal, but in children's books. And I'd always sort of avoided working in children's books because I thought that there might be some too much crossover between author me and kind of corporate publisher me and whether that would one day come into conflict with each other. But you know, I love young adult literature. I love middle grade. So when a job kind of came up or um, at Penguin looking for an editorial director for their children's team, I kind of thought it was the time to make that that leap. And it was a really interesting time in publishing, especially in the UK. You know, it was the kind of rise of the influencer and author. So I got to work with an amazing YouTuber called Zoe Sugg, who has published her first book. And it was such a fascinating time to work. But when I got a book deal that was basically enough money for me to potentially survive as a full-time author, I kind of decided that I needed to make that transition and see if I could make it work as an author because that's what I really wanted to do. I thought I could maybe come back to publishing if it all goes terribly wrong with the writing, <laughs> but so far, so far I've managed to keep it ticking along and, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's led me in, in many places. But I do sometimes miss, you know, having colleagues and um, <laughs> working on the other side of the of the fence but uh, I'm, I'm now yeah seven years out of it so the publishing has changed again so many ways yes oh well congratulations yeah. on that transition into being a writer you know I think that's so amazing and such a big accomplishment uh, we talked a little bit about how you've done the different genres what about the thriller genre do you like the most when it comes to writing it specifically why did you choose to make that switch for breathless to become a thriller 
In this case, it was really driven by the story. I mean, I've always been a huge mystery and, and thriller fan. Like my first love as a child were for Nancy Drew books. That's kind of the books that got me into reading. And then Agatha Christie and, and kind of that golden age of crime. I was just reading that more quickly than my parents could could find these books for me. So they would just leave me in the library as I like made my way through <laughs> all of the Agatha Christie's that I could find. So I've always had this kind of innate love for, for the genre. But uh, I actually, when I was, especially some of my earlier mountains in Aconcagua, I was actually toying around with fantasy and science fiction ideas centered around mountains. It wasn't until I actually got to the base camp of Manaslu itself that I realized this has to be a thriller because it was just the perfect setting. It was isolated. You were far from any authority figures. You were facing the environmental danger uh, all the time. So avalanche, danger, cold, lack of oxygen, hypoxia, crevasses, all of these things you were facing every day. And, you know, one potential slip you know, you were walking that life and death line all the time. But also from the human side of it, you know, I was living on a glacier at base camp in a tent surrounded by 100 strangers. And then particularly within my team, you know, 10 people close to me that I had never met before. And often these are people who are, you know, if they're mountaineers, they're especially in the, the male side, it's like there's a lot of ego on the mountain. There's a lot of wealth. There's a lot of, you know, athleticism that come from often military backgrounds or corporate backgrounds or sporting backgrounds. So there's like there's a sometimes, especially as being a woman on the mountain, I felt quite vulnerable in those situations where I was surrounded by a lot of physical strength and a lot of male energy. Um, and there was a lot of banter that was kind of written off as good fun but actually when you're alone on the mountain can make you feel extremely vulnerable and all of those things I was facing at the time and just realized that you know if any point someone had nefarious intentions or anything it could go wrong so easily so that's when I knew kind of that it was going to have to be a thriller it was sort of driven by the story as opposed to me deciding oh I want to write a thriller now (laughs) it was kind of like this was this was what the story had to Yeah, absolutely. So what is your own personal writing style like? Do you like to plan it out and do outline style? Do you just write in bursts? You know, what does that look like for you? (laughs) Yeah, I wish I was a better plotter, to be honest with you, especially actually Breathless was an interesting one for me because the kind of natural um, structure of climbing a mountain, especially the big peaks where you go up to camp one, camp two, you're acclimatizing. There was kind of a natural ebb and flow to the narrative that I could kind of follow. And so it it was much easier read. But for, for my second thriller, which I'm currently in the middle of, of editing, I was winging it again, sort of in the same way that I did with Breathless, but because there wasn't that natural sort of flow, I found it way more difficult. So I'm, I think for my third one, I'm going to have to at least try and sit down and plot a little bit more. But but my more my more natural style is to kind of, I have a I have a an overarching idea of kind of beginning, middle, and end, but I basically you know kind of let let what the characters are thinking and feeling kind of guide me. So I don't know. So for even for Breathless, I didn't know you know who the big bad was going to be until quite far down in the process. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, I'm always surprised by how many authors that we've interviewed so far, Alexis, who really just say that's their writing style. They yeah. just sit down and write. Versus, I think we kind of think as readers that there's this whole outline, this whole plan to make it all come together. But yeah, that's always um, interesting to me. I love the idea of like surprising myself as I'm writing because then I hope that it comes across to to readers eventually as well. 
Yes. Well, yeah. we absolutely loved getting to know the characters. Two of our personal favorites were Cicely and Elise. We absolutely loved them. Can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind them? You know, we can tell a lot of Cicely's character is based on yourself. You know, you went through her experience mm-hmm. and you created her character. So can we just hear a little bit about what other touches are from the real world? Yes, um, I did base Cecily uh, quite a bit on myself. She's also a mixed race woman like I am and um, relative novice to mountaineering, but even more of a novice than I was because I wanted her to really be kind of window into the mountaineering world for readers who were unfamiliar with mountaineering and uh, kind of allowed her to, to experience that alongside the reader. With Elise, what was, because what was most, probably my most special part of of the mountain was the kind of female friends that I made there and the female mountaineers who I found incredibly inspiring and she's kind of a mushed together version of some of the women that I met up there who you know were really young trying to make their mark on on, in this mountaineering world which is extremely male dominated uh, has been for a long time and they are sort of savvy social media users and they they use that to kind of get sponsorship because it is expensive to go out and climb in these big, big peaks. Um, you know, they need to to make their money somehow and, and also embracing their kind of um, femininity in that kind of yeah, very masculine world. And it's tricky because, you know, for me as a woman, and this is these are the kind of things that I, I peppered into the book. So you'll see reflected in, in some of what Cecily goes through. But when I was trying to equip myself for the mountains, um, you know, it was really hard to find gear that wasn't any that was made for women. It was all made for designed for men. At a certain point, you know, if you're going for a hike, you can find women women's boots and and jackets, shells, and even backpacks because women have some women have smaller frames. You know, you have a different way of carrying backpacks. You have different body shapes and everything that, that have different requirements. Um, but then when you get up to that 8,000 meter level, it's like there's a ceiling and all of a sudden the boots are all male boots. The suits are all for men. And, you know, I use the diff- the bathroom differently to a man. I have different requirements. So all of these things, um, and it can be very sort of, it can eat away, I suppose, at your confidence and your your feeling of whether you belong in that kind of place because when you're told all the time oh you know squeeze into the this that's made for a man or you know you have to start I had to buy special insoles for the boots to make sure they fit for me so all of these things were like little barriers to entry um which is what the the women who are who are professional mountaineers are facing all the time and and trying to encourage um, companies to to make this stuff for women as well so that it becomes a sport that that women can excel in as well as men and you know kudos to you I mean thank you so yeah. much for paving the way because it's such a it's a representation <laughs> thing you know like it's just it the is. more women that do it the more access we're going to have the more women we're going to see doing it like just thank you for that I mean go women yay <laughs> <laughs> yeah I- I think that's what I loved about Cicely and Elise's mm-hmm. relationship, I guess, you know, for each other. They had just this kind of mm-hmm. understanding that I feel like the other teammates kind of didn't have. I totally agree with what you said about writing Cicely's point of view so that she's kind of learning along with us because we're not very experienced. But 
I still could picture mm-hmm. the equipment, understand all the equipment. And once I've, you know, really got to the middle of the book, I felt like I had a much better understanding. And yeah, like I was kind of learning along with Cicely. <laughs> so I think you did a great job kind of portraying that to readers. Absolutely. That might oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It was tricky getting that balance right, I suppose, between not wanting to overload um, the too much technical kind of mountaineering no, it was stuff perfect. and bog down the plot with, with um, you know, creating a pacey thriller which is what everyone wants as well (laughs) to wrap up kind of our book questions here culture um we talked about you talked about a little bit earlier played a big part in the book and the summit itself um you know about respecting not only the mountain but the culture and they get to take part in these different rituals and all these things so can you tell us a little bit about that and how important that really is on the mountain when you're in these places yeah I mean to me it's extremely important and that was one of the the kind of interesting things to me and one of the things I kind of try and portray a little bit in the book is that it's very clear that you know there are some people that are there you know they've come they want to they want to get to the summit and then they want to leave you know and they want to that's sort of their they just see it as like kind of check boxes on this path to whatever it is you know having X number of summits under their belt or records or whatever. But one of the things, you know, one of the reasons that drew me to NIMS as a leader and, and, and also keeps bringing me back to Nepal is just the, you know, the incredible um, warmth and, and kind of the, the kind of sense of family that I felt on the mountain. And, and that comes from, you know, being a willingness to take part in kind of the cultural traditions and partake in the food and, and uh, ceremonies, as you say, um, because one, I mean, one of the most important things that even, even the most kind of egotistical mountaineer can't get away from is the ceremony called the puja ceremony, which is where lamas from the nearby monastery are invited down to base camp, where a ceremony takes place, you're basically asking permission from the mountain to to climb on her flanks, kind of thing. You know, you're you you try and get yeah. some of your equipment blessed, and it's actually for me, it was one of the most beautiful moments. You know, whether you are religious or not, but to sit kind of in these high mountains, where in front of these uh, monks who are chanting and incense is burning and just the atmosphere is so incredible and it, it sounds all it sounds too movie like or like it was like a making it up but we had mm-hmm. um when I was climbing Manazu it was just at, towards the end of rainy season so when we arrived at base camp it was there was a lot of rain cloud cover we hadn't really seen the mountain there was then it changed to snow so everything was covered in white which was very beautiful but again we kind of the clouds were were covering the mountain and we couldn't really see very much and then we had this puja ceremony and we sat there for about 45 minutes listening to these monks chant and just taking a moment and kind of prepare mentally preparing ourselves for the challenges that were to come and then there was like a break in the cloud and you know, this blue sky kind of emerged and then the first sight of the mountain itself, which Manaslu is like such a piercing mountain shape. It's like one of those classic mountains. You know, I think I describe it in the book that it's like a tail diving tail of a whale. It's got these two peaks that kind of pierce the sky quite literally. Um, but when you're at base camp, you can only, you're so close to the mountain, you can only see one of them. So it's like this really intimidating kind of shark spin, but it's absolutely beautiful uh and and it it kind of appeared to us when we were at the you know doing this witnessing this puja ceremony and 
And after that, you know, there's a huge celebration um, and all of the, the chefs have been preparing food in the tents and it's incredible what they can do even at a high altitude base camp over, over a campfire, what <laughs> yeah. they can produce. It's amazing. And we kind of had this feast of, of Nepali food and momos, which are these little dumplings, which are delicious. And we, our faces were being covered in flour and, and rice was being tossed everywhere. It was just a real atmosphere of fun and, and, a, and a little party to celebrate kind of the experience that we were having. And, and um, you know, for me, it was quite spiritual and it was quite, it was incredibly moving. And, and yeah, it was an, an opportunity to kind of take a step back and think, oh my gosh, I'm about to do this absolutely insane thing mm -hmm. but also what a privilege for me mm -hmm. to be here in this moment and this if this is all that I get to experience in the mountain decides no sorry it's not for you this time you know that's okay because I made it this far and that's amazing oh, that's amazing yeah so that to wrap amazing. up our discussion on breathless what is the most rewarding part for you for being a full-time author I mean for me it's just uh it is a privilege every day to, to kind of get to do the thing that I love. But I guess the best thing for me is um, is when those reader reactions start coming through because you know then the book is it's no longer yours in a very strange way. You know, it's kind of gone out into the world. And I, I find it interesting because, you know, I'm used to kind of getting letters from children or something. You know, those are really kind of cute handwritten scrolls. But when you get a letter from like a... 70 year old grandfather who doesn't read very much and someone's given him this book and he's saying oh my gosh I was just transported to Nepal and it was in I found myself just so moved um I try not to kind of read my reviews too much but it, people who take the time out to either message me through social media or through my website or reach me out reach me in some way like that um and take the time that is just really really special or people I get to meet in events so and it reminds me whenever I find it really difficult which of course you know all authors go through ebbs and flows whether that's the writing side or the publishing <laughs> side or disappointments or anything I just you know have to treasure those moments and remember kind of how lucky it is that I get to do um something that I absolutely love for a living. Oh my goodness, yes. And we thoroughly yeah. enjoyed reading it for the podcast. It has been such a treat. Absolutely for loved sure. it. Um, I'm really excited yeah. for this interview and our last bit of the review <laughs> to be posted so everyone can see it. But sure. obviously our podcast name is Books Bites Booze. Do you have a favorite food or drink recipe that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I was trying to think of something that would kind of relate back to to the story a little bit um, and, and also what it's like to be out there in Nepal. Um, and I actually recently took my husband and my sister and her husband to um, Everest Base Camp because they'd, they'd never been to Nepal. And obviously my life in the past few years has been dominated by dominated by Nepal. Yeah. So I really wanted to bring them and, and my sister and her husband film what they, they're video producers for a living. So they, they did, they produced this little documentary, which you can see on my YouTube channel, just like sort of like a seven minute mini documentary about my journey through breathless. And it gives some, a, a little window into um, what it's like to be out there and to climb. But um, basically the whole way around, all we were drinking is like this lemon ginger tea because it really helps in the mountains. Um, a, to warm you up because it's really cold a lot of the time, but also yeah. um, the kind of ginger and lemon really helps with the altitude sickness and everything. So if I was to kind of host a breathless party or something or to bring uh, have a cocktail that was sort of I have this like lemon and ginger um, uh, bourbon cocktail that I think would be kind of perfect. Uh, that does yeah, sound, that sounds camp, good. So, yeah. So yeah. 
using lemon and um, simple syrup and a couple of ounces of bourbon, like Maker's Mark, something like that, and ginger ale poured over crushed ice. And then I like to add a sprint, sprig of mint leaf or something like that, just for that extra refreshment. Icy yeah. cold <laughs> for the breathless. Um, uh, if you can get glacier Love ice, that. no. Yes. <laughs> Not fresh, a requirement. But <laughs> fresh glacier ice is a must. <laughs> fresh glacier ice is the, is the key ingredient. Yeah. But yeah, so because lemon and ginger, if you're ever up in those high altitude places, that's the that's the ticket to make you feel better. <laughs> I love it. I'm going to have to make it. Uh, well, we're all, yeah, wondering, uh, we're all wondering, are we going to be seeing a new book from you anytime soon? Do you have anything <laughs> in the works, anything that you can tell us about? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I do really feel having moved from children's now into this adult thriller that I've kind of really found um, a new voice and new passion for this kind of uh, storytelling. So uh, the next book is also going to be inspired by an adventure I went on in Antarctica. Yes, so it's going to be a thriller thriller set in Antarctica, and the idea is in a place of you know where you have the midnight sun, so the the sun never sets. Um, you know, there's nowhere to hide. So I'm so excited! Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Okay. So look out for that. Another sort of um, quote unquote ordinary woman in an extraordinary setting. Uh, well, we'll have to have you back on whenever that comes back. Yes. So I'm very. Yes. I'm, I'm. I'm afraid we're sort of still like teetering on title. Otherwise, I would give it to you. But hopefully, it'll be out next year. Next time. <laughs> okay. Next time. Yes. Well, Amy, thank you so, so much for spending a little bit of time with us. This has been great. We've learned so much. And like we said, we really enjoyed Breathless. And um, yeah, we will definitely check out your next book that you, next year. So yeah. Yeah. And where can our listeners find you, your social media handle, website? Yeah, my, my website is amymcculloch.net. I'm mostly on Instagram, which is Amy McCulloch Books. Um, and like I said, if you want to check out my YouTube, which is, I think, slash Amy McCulloch, but it's also available through my website. Um, that's where there are videos of me climbing Manaslu, uh, the little documentary about Breathless and um, some other bits and pieces as well. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank right. you so much, Amy. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right, Madison. So what'd you cook the past couple of days? So I actually shared a picture of a peach cobbler that uh, Logan and I had at a restaurant here in Huntsville And I'm going to just kind of piggyback off that. And I'm giving um, my dad's cobbler recipe. You can make this with any fruit, first of all, like blueberry, apple, strawberries, literally whatever your favorite fruit is, you can make it with this recipe. So I'm just going to kind of give you the peach recipe. What you need is one cup of Bisquick. 30 ounces of peaches or two 15-ounce cans drained. You can also do fresh peaches. A cup of milk, half a teaspoon of nutmeg. That can also be omitted if you don't like nutmeg or you're allergic. Half a cup of butter melted and a cup of sugar. You're going to preheat your oven to 375 degrees. Combine your Bisquick, your milk, nutmeg, melted butter, And mix it really well and then add it to your baking pan. Combine your drained peaches with sugar. Once all of your peaches are coated in the sugar, spoon them over the batter in the baking pan. So your batter is going to be at the bottom of your baking pan. And then your fruit is actually going to be laid on top. And the batter is just going to bake over the fruit 
as it bakes. Mm -hmm. The very last thing you're going to add is cream cheese. This can also be omitted, but to me, it just makes no, it loaded so up. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> you can omit the cream cheese, but I love it. So you're just going to need a block of cream cheese, cut it up into um, like squares, little squares, and just place it on top of the fruit. And it's just going to bake in there. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. (laughs) Oh my goodness, it just looks amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and what about you, Alexis? Okay, so since we've only been gone for two days, I haven't actually made this yet, but I am making it this week. So I'm sharing my recipe that I was going to do on the last episode, but then me and Madison had like identical things. So I'm doing it this week. So this (laughs) is Mediterranean chicken with sun-dried tomatoes and artichokes. You're going to need one and a half pounds of chicken breast, thinly sliced, a half teaspoon of salt, quarter teaspoon of ground black pepper. Personally, I'm probably going to put some extra brown or black pepper in there. I absolutely love pepper quarter cup of flour. You can use gluten-free flour. I'm going to be using veggie flour, two tablespoons of olive oil, eight ounces of roasted artichoke hearts drained, six ounces of sun-dried tomatoes, three tablespoons of capers drained, two tablespoons of lemon juice freshly squeezed, and three tablespoons of olive oil. So you're just going to season the chicken with the salt and pepper on a large plate, dredge the chicken in the flour, You're going to heat two tablespoons of olive oil in a large skillet on medium-high heat. Add chicken and brown for about four minutes until it turns to a nice golden color. Flip the chicken over on the other side. Brown the other side for about four minutes. Remove the chicken and then add in the artichokes, the sun-dried tomatoes, capers, lemon juice, all of that into the same skillet. You're going to stir on medium heat, then reduce it down to medium-low. Once you do that, add in two to three tablespoons of olive oil and then stir to combine. Push the vegetables to the side, add the chicken back into the pan. Cook the chicken and the vegetables on low to medium heat for about five or ten more minutes while it's covered until the chicken's completely cooked through. Then depending on your stove, you might have to cook either on medium, medium, low heat to to cook it all the way through. But then you can serve and enjoy your delicious Mediterranean chicken like I will later this week. (laughs) <laughs> that sounds so good. I might make that later on this yes. week. See, I was scared to give the recipe because I don't want to give a recipe and then it be bad. But I just yeah. feel like you can't mess that up. You know, like that no. just sounds amazing. I like any kind of chicken dish. It doesn't matter if it has chicken. I'll eat it. Doesn't. Yes. I mean, yeah, any kind of chicken dish for sure. Any kind of lean meat. I mean, I'm always down for some steaks, but I feel like I'm more of a chicken kind of gal. I am for sure. For <laughs> I think sure. that makes us basic. But yeah, so now you can go make a delicious meal with your chicken, your peach cobbler, your cocktails, and enjoy Breathless. Oh, and speaking of books, Madison, what's going to be our next book? Okay, so our next book doesn't even really need an introduction. But Drum roll, please. <laughs> it ends with us by Colleen Hoover. It's literally everywhere. What? And I cannot wait until the next episode for us to talk about this book. I am pumped because the hype behind this book, I mean, we are behind the times like 100%. Most people have already read this book and we are the late bloomers. (laughs) Yeah, but like we already kind of had our lineup of what we were going to read. And then last minute I was like, Alexis, I just think we should throw this book into the mix because... Mm -hmm. 
everybody's talking about it. So a hundred percent. Cause I feel like we don't cover some of the best sellers because we do use book of the month to get our books. You know, we right. just pick from the, the choices that are on book of the month, but this one is so big and so hyped right now. We're we just it. have to. Exactly. Yeah. Lastly, what we're going to leave you with is our new bookstagram of the month. You guys know that we like to shout somebody out this month. Our bookstagram is of the month is nothing but fiction. She has been a follower of ours for a really long time. And she's always just liking our pictures. I think her feed is absolutely so freaking beautiful. It's so cool. She does like a picture of the cover on her phone. And then she has like all these book pages in the background. It's so satisfying to look at and scroll through. Um, yeah, go give her a follow and check up on all her new posts. It's nothing but fiction. And she's read so many books so far this year. It makes me feel like a slacker. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. She puts like what number she's on of books she's read. It's crazy. Yes. Because I'm like way behind that. (laughs) Yeah. We're getting there. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget, you can find all of our reviews, um, our recipes, our cocktails on our website, booksbitesbooze.com. Follow us on Instagram, booksbitesbooze. And we will be back with It Ends With Us, part one of our discussion very soon. Yeah, probably like tomorrow based on how this is going. <laughs> but for real, tell all of your friends and family about us because we're doing a fun giveaway at 3,000 followers and we're almost there. So we are almost there. Yes. And leave some reviews. Go subscribe to us because, like, we can see you all are listening, but not a lot of you have subscribed. So you should yeah. follow us, subscribe to yeah. us, show us that love. We will give you great content in return. Yes. So we'll see you guys next time. Yeah. See you guys next time. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye.